I really have to do this, Dad? Stan, now more than ever, you need to understand the importance of saving money. But Grandma said I could use this money to buy whatever I want. Okay, next, please. Go on, Stanley. I got a $100 check from my grandma, and my dad said I need to put it in the bank so it can grow over the years. Well, that's fantastic. A really smart decision, young man. We can put that check in a money market mutual fund. Then we'll reinvest the earnings into foreign currency accounts with compounding interest, and it's gone. Uh, what? It's gone. It's all gone. What's all gone? The money in your account. It didn't do too well. It's gone. What do you mean? I, I have $100. Not anymore, you don't. Poof. Peace be upon you. So throughout our lives, we're always going to be hearing the, of these investment opportunities and how it made a certain group of people so much money and that we could have had the opportunity to invest. Um, specifically right now, we're going through a uh, housing boom. Um, houses are at all-time high. Uh, the stock market has just been rallying, hitting all-time uh, highs as well. And we even have a new asset class called cryptocurrencies that's minted you know, thousands upon thousands of new millionaires and multimillionaires. And we're thinking, oh, like, ah, oh, we missed out on this opportunity. You know, I could have made so much money. Why didn't I invest? And the reality was that as high as these investments are now, there was a time when these investments were frowned upon. People didn't want to touch them. And uh, they looked away and they thought, you know, these aren't going to pay out in the long run. And they didn't invest. And that's because there's no certainty as far as any of these investments where they're going to go tomorrow. And it's easy in hindsight to look back and say, okay, you know, this asset was good and this one wasn't. But uh, before that, there is no investment that you can say with absolute certainty that it's going to take off with the exception of one. And that's investing in the hereafter. In 2261, God tells us in this uh, subtitle reads, the best investment, it says, the example of those who spend their monies in the cause of God is that of a grain that produces seven spikes with a hundred grains in each spike. God multiplies this manifold for whomever he wills. God is bounteous, knower. If you just do the calculation, God is saying, you give a dollar, it's as if you planted seven spikes, and in each spike, there is a hundred grains. So that's a 700 times return, 70,000% return. And God multiplies that manifold. And we can't even put our, wrap our heads around that, that we're going to put a dollar in, and God is not only going to give us 700 times back, but he's going to multiply that manifold, meaning more than we can imagine. And the reality is God never breaks a promise. Every other investment, you know, the CEO, a uh, stock analyst, someone says, hey, this sure thing, there's no guarantee. But when God says it, we know for sure that this is truth, that this is fact. In chapter 30, verse 6, this is such as God's promise and God never breaks his promise. But most people do not know. They care only about things in this world that are visible to them while being totally oblivious to the hereafter. And in this world, how do we transact? We use money. Money is our store of value. You can say it's gold. You can say it's Bitcoin. But ultimately, we're transacting value through some store. In the hereafter, the currency that is going to be dependent on is righteousness. And the only place you can obtain righteousness is here in this world as long as you're living. In 2197, God is telling us that the most important provision we need to have is righteousness when it's describing what to bring when you go to Hajj. It says, as you prepare your provisions for the journey, the best provision is righteousness. And the reality is God is the source of righteousness. In 7456, it says, they cannot take heed against God's will, 
He is the source of righteousness. He is the source of forgiveness. So what God is, is the source of everything good that happens in this world. The source of that is God. And God will loan it out to us, loan us out righteousness. And unlike other loans, like you go to a bank and you take a loan, you you pay the bank interest. God works in the opposite. He gives us a loan of righteousness and he will pay us back manifold. And 2.245 says, Who would lend God a loan of righteousness to have it repaid to him? Multiplied manifold. God is the one who provides without uh, and withholds, and to him you will be returned. 57.11, Who would like to loan God a loan of righteousness to have it multiplied for him? Manifold. And end up with a great recompense. 64.17, If you lend God a loan of righteousness, he will multiply that reward for you manifold and forgive you. God is appreciative. Clement. Now, God can do everything. He doesn't need us to go and feed people. He doesn't need us to uh, stand up for what's right, to perform our contact prayers. But he gives us this opportunity to earn righteousness because he's going to pay us back a dividend on that loan that we took for him. In 36.47, it says, When they are told, Give from God's provisions to you, those who disbelieve say to those who believe, Why should we give to those whom God could feed if he so willed? You were really far astray. And the reality is God can feed these people. God doesn't need us to go and you know get food for someone and donate it to them and feed them. But he's giving us an opportunity to earn credit in the hereafter. Because what is going to have value? Our currency, our store of value, our medium of exchange in the hereafter is solely dependent on the righteous works we do in this world. And God is giving this out to anyone who wants it. It's up for the taking. And in 1720, it says for each of them, we provide, we provide for those and these and from your Lord's bounties. Your Lord's bounties are inexhaustible. Meaning God has infinite amount of righteous credit, a future currency, our post-death currency that he's just giving out for those who want it. And anyone who takes that loan of righteousness from God, God is going to pay them so much for that loan. In 17100 it says, Proclaim, if you possess my Lord's treasures of mercy... You would have withheld them fearing you might exhaust them. The human being is stingy. And this is something that we can't help. We live in a world where we think that there's uh, fixed amounts, that things are a zero-sum game, meaning if I have uh, some more, you have less. But that's not how God's system works. God has infinite provisions. And the provision he's telling us that's the most important, that he's willing to pay people to have because it's going to have the most value for us when we are resurrected on the day of judgment is righteousness. But the reality is we care only about things that we that are visible to us, things that we can see. We saw in uh, 30 verse 6, it says, they care only about things of this world that are visible to them while being totally oblivious to the hereafter. And this is a sad truth. Most people, they could care less about the hereafter. They could care less about what currency they have when they die because they think that life is over at that point. So they're going to live every minute, every dollar in this world to spend for this world without a care about the hereafter. And those people are going to be the most miserable on the day of judgment. And 314 says, adorned for the people are the worldly pleasures, such as the women having children, piles upon piles of gold and silver, trained horses, livestock, and crops. These are the materials of this world. A far better abode is reserved at God. In 4134, it says, anyone who seeks the materials of this world should know that God possesses both 
the materials of this world and the hereafter, God is here, seer. God tells us numerous times in the Quran that this world, the world we live in, the world that we are breathing the air of is not real, that it's merely an illusion. And you can think of this on multiple different ways. You can say, oh, you know, uh, we're in a simulation uh, or the fact that reality is this life is a blip in our eternal existence. You take eternity because our souls are going to last forever and you take a hundred years and a hundred years divided by infinity is still zero. Even if we lived a thousand years in the grand scheme of things, anything we do in this world that we cannot carry on to the hereafter is utterly meaningless. The only thing that we are going to be able to carry to the hereafter is our good deeds and anything we've done that was to negate our souls, to hurt our souls, to uh, uh, negate our good deeds, it's only going to be hurting us in the hereafter for all of eternity. So why is it that we see things in this world, this illusion, that are so compelling for us that we think that is what we want? We think that's what the human being desires. You know, imagine we're playing a video game, be it uh, SimCity or Second Life, and I have the most beautiful car in this simulation. Would you be envious of it? You say it's a digital, it's meaningless. There's no value there. But for some reason, when we take it into the tangible world, all of a sudden we think like, wow, this person has a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or a nice house, you know, and <laughs> we forget that these are illusions, no different than seeing that same car in a video game. Um, another example is you think about these people with their Instagram feed showing all their, uh, their wealth, their selfies, how beautiful they are, how much friends they have, how much good times they're doing. And, you know, we become envious. But we have to put things in perspective that this is all meaningless unless they're growing and developing their souls, unless they're making that investment into the future for the day of resurrection and all of eternity. All these things are meaningless. And this is what I'm talking about when I was saying most investments that uh, if you go back into the future before people realize just how much value was there, everyone just overlooks. You think this anyone right now instantly can do a good deed. They can say a kind word. They can give to charity. They can do something to even help out their, their spouse, their children, their parents, something that's selfless. And they can earn credit for the hereafter that God will multiply manifold. But how many of us are taking God up on this opportunity? The reality is if you really believe in something, the expression is you put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> and if you believe in the hereafter and you believe that this is an investment that's going to pay you back so well, would you be apprehensive? You think of these people who uh, say, oh, you know, I wish I uh, invested in a uh, Bitcoin and they had that opportunity, but the reality was they probably didn't believe in it. They thought it was too risky, that it was going to fail. So therefore they didn't put their money into it. And God is telling us the same thing in this world. If you believe in the hereafter, if you believe that the only thing you're going to be able to carry with you on the day of judgment, that's going to matter at all is your righteousness we would do whatever we can in order to increase that account because we know that that's what's going to matter on the day of judgment. And God tells us, this is a sad truth, is that if we had more than what we have at the moment, we would transgress. Because a lot of people, they say, look, I just can't give. I'm tied on budget. I have X, I have Y, I have Z. Uh, and because of that, if I had more money, I would be more charitable. And this is false. And God tells us that if he gave us more, we would transgress. He gives us exactly how much we need because he knows 
That's how much we can handle. And the question is, what is it that we do with that amount? And the sad thing is that as that amount increases, the likeliness of us going astray also increases. In 42.27, it says, If God increased the provision for servants, they would transgress on earth. This is why he sends it precisely measured to whomever he wills. He's fully cognizant and seer of his servants. When we serve God, when we say we want to be employed by God, we want to serve in God's kingdom, we want to do the things that please God, what we're doing is we're saying we want that righteousness. We want to earn that investment. And if we are oblivious to this, if it's just lip service, then our actions aren't going to correspond with what it, what it is that we think we want. In 4333, it reads, the subtitle, The Materials of This World, are all the disbelievers get. It says, if it were not that all the people might become one disbelieving congregation, we would have granted everyone who disbelieves in the most gracious mansions with silver roofs and stairs upon which they could climb. Their mansions would have impressive gates and luxurious furnishings, also many ornaments. All these are the temporary materials of this life. The hereafter your Lord is far better for the righteous. This world is an illusion. God is saying in this verse that if it wasn't that the believers would be swayed into disbelieving, if it wasn't because of that, God would give everyone who disbelieves mansions with silver roofs. But God knows if he did that, if he treated the disbelievers with such luxury, it would sway us away. And we are each given exactly how much we can handle to see what is it that we do with it. If you want God to be able to provide us with more, we need to do more to show that we can handle that wealth without going astray. In 969, it reads, Some of those before you were stronger than you and possessed more money and children. They became preoccupied with their material possessions. Similarly, you have become preoccupied with your material possessions, just like those before you have become preoccupied. You have become totally heedless just as they were heedless. Such are the people who nullify their works, both in this world and in the hereafter. They are the losers. And we know whatever we spend the most time thinking about, that becomes our God. If we think about our material possessions, we think about our money, our property, these elements end up becoming our God. And when God is telling us that you've become preoccupied, and this is awesome, that's saying you, me, you, everyone who's listening to this, everyone in the world, we become preoccupied with our material possessions. And we need to realize that and we need to change that behavior. Even Solomon, one of God's messengers, was so mesmerized by his horses, this luxury, that he missed his afternoon prayer. And in reconciliation, what he did is he let go of his horses. He bid them farewell. He gave them away because he did not want God to make, uh, sorry, Satan to make those horses a claim against uh, Solomon, saying, telling God that, oh, Solomon cares more about his horses than he does in pleasing and worshiping God. And it's the same thing. We have to catch ourselves when we get caught up into this materialistic life, into this world, into these vanities, that these things are not what matters. And if it's occupying our mind more than it is worshiping and thinking about God, then we need to get our priorities in check. And one of the other challenges is that when we become wealthy, when God increases our wealth, when God gives us more, increases our provisions, all of a sudden we have this mentality that we're better, that we're more clever, 
uh, that we can't do any right, and we come blinded to the sins that we're committing. There's a Netflix uh, series, it's called Dirty Money, and it looks at these industries and these frauds that have taken place. And one of the episodes, it was looking at a person's name is Scott Tucker, and he was the head of the CLK management, uh, which made loans, their payday loans. And these payday loans had all kinds of just disgusting uh, interest rates and fees, and they were just swindling millions of Americans uh, in thinking that they're, you know, uh, applying for a quick loan because they had some emergency. And in actuality, they were never able to get out of this debt. And what's fascinating is when they were interviewing him. So the feds came in, they uh, uh, took all his wealth, they were taking his cars, you know, in essence, I, I believe he sent, uh, he's in prison right now serving a seven year sentence. He was in disbelief. He thought he was a martyr. He thought he was doing nothing but righteous work. And he could not see how he was destroying the lives of millions of people with his uh, uh, practices, with his business. And this is one of the things that money does, that greed does, is that it blinds us to what is right and what's wrong. There is a study that was conducted in Berkeley, and it was showing that when people uh, became wealthy or had believed they were wealthy, they started acting more arrogantly. And this is a sad but tr uh, truth. So what they did in this experiment, they would have two people play Monopoly and they rigged it uh, just randomly where one person is going to have more money. So it's going to have twice as much money. Uh, they're going to roll two die as opposed to the other players only going to roll one. Uh, they get to have the nice fancy uh, car as the moving piece as opposed to the shoe or the thimble. And um, when they pass go, they get to collect 200, but their opponent only collects 100. And they watch their behavior. And keep in mind, this is Berkeley, liberal, very, very liberal community. And uh, these people, when they believed they had that sense of more wealth, and it's just monopoly, but they started acting arrogantly. They started talking down to the other person. They started giving them directives. Uh, they started eating more uh, loudly in the sense they had this uh, bowl of pretzel and they would take the pieces out and, you know, shove it in their mouth and chew with their mouth open. And they just became, you know, very uh, unpleasant human beings. And um, what's funny is when they asked them, you know, why did you win? Because keep in mind, the game was rigged where one person was clearly going to be the victor and the other one was going to be uh, the loser. They asked them, why did you win? And as opposed to attributing their win to the fact that they had the upper hand, that they were given more money, they had, uh, you know, they could move uh, twice as much because they had uh, two die as opposed to one. Um, they had all these benefits. They attributed their win to themselves. They said, oh, it was my skill. You know, I, I, I bought the right properties and I did this and that. And they wouldn't take in consideration that is like, no, the game was rigged for you to win. <laughs> and that's how we become blinded. We become blinded when we become rich. We think we can justify our actions. And that's why uh, one of the other episodes was looking at a HSBC bank and um, how these people, you know, slowly their integrity starts windling away to the point that they're uh, laundering billions of dollars for drug cartels and the uh, uh, terrorist organizations. And you ask, how did someone come to this? What was it that drove these people to make such a uh, terrible, morally unethical decision? And that's what it is. It slowly chips away. As you have more wealth, you have more possessions, you start becoming more greedy, you start thinking that you have to protect more, and all of a sudden your moral compass is lost, and you make decisions that you never would had you not had that money. So it's a blessing from God that he only gives us what we can handle. And the reality is, as we're given more, our responsibility increases. And if we make the right decisions... God will give us more uh, on top of that. One of the uh, clear examples 
of how wealth can just destroy a person is in the example of Karun. So Karun was one of the children of Israel, and he was a slave driver. He was one of the people managing all the slaves of the children of Israel. And in 2876, it reads, Karun, the slave driver, was one of Moses' people who betrayed them and oppressed them. We gave him so many treasures that the keys thereof were almost too heavy for the strongest band. His people said to him, Do not be so arrogant. God does not love those who are arrogant. Use the provisions bestowed upon you by God to seek the abode of the hereafter without neglecting your share in this world. Be charitable as God has been charitable towards you. Do not keep on corrupting the earth. God does not love the corruptors. And I just want to take a moment to identify that. It says here, use the provisions bestowed upon you by God to seek the abode of the hereafter without neglecting your share in this world. You know, some people take the extreme uh, and uh, they, they give everything, even the shirt on their back, and they keep nothing for themselves. And in my opinion, this is no different than being extravagant. We all have responsibilities. We have responsibilities for our families, our spouses, our children, um, you know, our parents. And we can't negate those responsibilities and just say, hey, I'm just going to give everything away and God is going to take care of me. We have to be uh, rational here. In 1726 and uh, through 29, it reads, uh, you shall give the due alms to the relatives, the needy, the poor, and the traveling alien. Do not be excessive, extravagant. The extravagant are brethren of the devil, and the devil's unappreciative of his Lord. Someone who's extravagant is not appreciative for what God has given him. Now, we want to give to a point where we're uncomfortable, but not to the point where it becomes extravagant, where we're seeking attention. And in 1729, it says, You shall not keep your hand stingily tied to your neck, nor shall you foolishly open it up, lest you end up blamed and sorry. So we can't be either of those extremes where in one case we're just giving everything away, we're being very flashy about it. And uh, I knew that. I, I've seen that from people. Uh, they they accumulate some wealth and they're buying people cars. And it's, it's ridiculous. And they surprisingly or not, not so surprisingly, they, they lost their money. Um, but at the same time, you want to give enough where it's uncomfortable because it's at that threshold where you realize that that's where we're killing our ego. That's when we're becoming selfless because if it's easy to give, then we're probably not given enough. But at the same time, we don't want to be extravagant. So it continues on with a Karun starting from 2878. It says, he said, so this is Karun, I attained all this because of my own cleverness. Did he not realize that God had annihilated before him generations that were much stronger than he and greater in number? The annihilated transgressors were not asked about their crimes. One day he came out to his people in full splendor. Those who preferred this worldly life said, Oh, we wish we possessed what Karun has attained. Indeed, he is very fortunate. <laughs> this reminds me of uh, uh, Bernie Madoff, you know, one of the, uh, the, the, the most grand Ponzi schemes in our uh, lifetime. And how many people, when they heard about the returns that he was providing to his clients, and his clients were probably boasting about how much money they're making, that the individuals thought, oh, I wish I invested with him. I wish I was part of this. I wish... You know, he's so uh, prestigious and he, he's so much smarter than everyone else. And it's the same thing here. Karun is saying, I attain all this because of my own cleverness. That he's so smart. He's so clever. He's just a better business person than the other. And not realizing that God is giving him this. And there's a verse in, I believe it's in uh, chapter 3, where God says uh, he gives them enough uh, rope to hang themselves. To show them just how evil, how terrible they are. 
Because if it wasn't for the wealth, the prestige, the status that Karun had, we would never be able to witness just how bad of an individual he is. And God made this possible. It continues in um, uh, 2880. It says, as for those who blessed with knowledge, they said, woe to you. God's recompense is far better for those who believe and lead a righteous life. None attains this except the steadfast. We then caused the earth to swallow him, so that's Karun, and his mansion. No army could have helped him against God. He was not destined to be a winner. Literally, the same thing happened with Bernie Madoff, one of the most uh, uh, looked after, sought after investors, had so much prestige, so much uh, uh, fame, and all this blew up in his face. He lost everything. Uh, his son committed suicide because of this. It destroyed his entire family. And why? At the time, you know, prior to this happening, how many people were envious to be Bernie Madoff, to be able to invest with Bernie Madoff, to have Bernie Madoff as his their fund manager? And it's no different than what the children of Israel were doing with uh, Karun at the time. And um, in 2882, it continues, those who were envious of him the day before said, now we realize God is the one who provides for whomever he chooses from among his servants and withholds. If it were not for God's grace towards us, he could have caused the earth to swallow us too. We now realize that the disbelievers never succeed. So what did Karun get? He sold his soul in this life and he was annihilated. And he will have no credits for him on the day of judgment. He's going to be resurrected on the day of judgment. He's going to have all of eternity. And he's going to look inside his wallet and there's nothing for him to be able to, uh, to purchase. He will have nothing because he wasted this life for, for what was visible. For that prestige, that status, that that money, those treasures, the simulation. <laughs> Another example is uh, the owners of the garden. And this is in chapter 18. And it reads, cite for them the example of two men. We gave one of them two gardens of grapes surrounded by date palms, place other crops between them. Both gardens produced their crops on time and generously, for we caused the river to run through them. Once after harvesting, he boastfully told his friend, I am far more prosperous than you, and I command more respect from the people. When he entered his garden, he wronged his soul by saying, I do not think that this will ever end. Moreover, I think it is it. I do not think that the hour hereafter will ever come to pass. Even if I am returned to my Lord, I will be clever enough to possess an even better one over there. His friend said to him as he debated with him, Have you disbelieved in the one who created you from dust, then from a tiny drop, then perfected you into a man? As for me, God is my Lord. I will never set up any other God besides my Lord. When you entered your garden, you should have said, This is what God has given me. Mashallah. No one possesses power except God. You may see that I possess less money and less children than you. My Lord may grant me better than your garden. He may send a violent storm from the sky that wipes out your garden, leaving it completely barren or its water may sink deeper out of your reach. Indeed, his crops were wiped out and ended up sorrowful, lamenting what he spent on it in vain as his property lay barren. He finally said, I wish I never set up my property as God beside my Lord. No force on earth could have helped him against God, nor was it possible for him to receive any help. That is because the only true Lord and Master is God, he provides the best recompense, and with him is the best destiny.
all this money, all this time he put into something, his, uh, his property, his garden, thinking that this is what gave him value, this is what gave him prestige, this is what gave him happiness, was wiped out, barren. Now, can you imagine? I mean, that sounds terrible. Imagine putting all this money, time, resources uh, to a business, building it up, telling everyone how successful and awesome you are, only to have it completely wiped out. And it's going to be far worse in the hereafter. For those who haven't earned righteousness in this world, the people who do not give to charity, the people who are not kind and compassionate, how terrible is that going to be? They have no investment in the hereafter. And you think, the people who are kicking themselves because they didn't invest in the stock market, they didn't invest in Bitcoin, they didn't invest in you know uh, whatever uh, popular trend is at the time. This is completely meaningless in comparison. Because if we're not investing in the hereafter, and God is telling you, and you think about it, you know this expression, the rich get richer? Well, the more the, the righteous get more righteous. Because what's awesome about this is God is multiplying it manifold. Meaning you do one ounce, one dollar of charity. God multiplies that 700x times manifold. Just one dollar. You cannot find a return with that level of certainty anywhere in the world. Only God can provide that. It continues in 1845. It says, cite for them the example of this life as water that we send down from the sky to produce plants of the earth. Then they turn into hay that is blown away by the wind. God is able to do all things. These things that we plant in this world, they're all going to turn into hay. They're all going to be blown away. The only thing that survives is our righteousness. What have we done to grow and develop our souls? What have we done to please God? Did we take that loan of righteousness from God? 1846, it continues, rearrange our priorities. Money and children are joys of this life, but the righteous works provide an eternal recompense from your Lord and a far better hope. The day will come when we wipe out the mountains and you will see the earth barren. We will summon them all, not leaving out a single one of them. They will be presented before your Lord in a row. You have come to us as individuals just as we created you initially. Indeed, this is what you claimed will never happen. The record will be shown and you will see the guilty fearful of its contents. They will say, woe to us. How come this book leaves nothing small or large without counting it? They will find everything they had done brought forth. Your Lord is never unjust towards anyone. Imagine going on the day of judgment. They're saying, okay, how much do you have in your account? And this account is proportional to how much righteousness you took as a loan from God. And they open it up and there's nothing in there. And the person next to you put $10 in, just $10. And with the return that God promises, that person is going to be <laughs> filthy rich in comparison. Meaning that you do one atom's weight of good, God is going to pay you back so much better. So as much regret and as much frustration people have about missing these investments in this world, it's nothing compared to hereafter. 5720 says, Know that this worldly life is no more than playing games and boasting among you and hoarding of money and children, it is like abundant rain that produces plants that pleases the disbelievers. But then the plants turn into useless hay that are blown away by the wind. And the hereafter, there is either severe retribution or forgiveness from God and approval. 
This worldly life is no more than a temporary illusion. Let's not get bought into that illusion. And the question is, how do we gain righteousness? How do we grow and develop our souls? And there's many, many verses in the Quran, but there's one series of verses that I think really summarize this. And it's in chapter 90, verse 10 through 18. It says, did we not show you the two paths? He should choose the difficult path. Which one is the difficult path? The freeing of slaves, feeding during the time of hardship, orphans who are related or the poor who is in need, and being one of those who believe and exhorting one another to be steadfast and exhorting one another to be kind. These have deserved happiness. When is the last time you went on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and you exhorted people, please be kind, be awesome, be awesome to one another? <laughs> it reminds me, I saw a GIF of uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and uh, they go back in time and they have a message, and it says, be excellent to one another. And why don't we do that? Why aren't we exhorting one another to be kind, be happy, you know, give a kind word, don't be mean, don't be, <laughs> don't be a jerk. And God is telling us to pick the difficult path. That is not easy. It's easier to be a jerk. It's easier to be mean and uh, uh, not smile at people, not say hello. Uh, and God is telling us, pick the difficult path. Now, what's awesome in chapter 65, because it seems difficult, right? We say, ah, you know, feeding at the time of hardship. Imagine being at a time where you're uh, strapped low on cash. Uh, you, you feel like you're uh, you're going through tough times. And God is telling you at that time, that's when you need to give to charity. It's at that time that you need to go and find someone to give them food, to give them shelter, to do a kind deed. Because those are the times that's the hardest. And if you can do it at that time, then God willing, God is going to grow and develop our souls and we can do more. And what's awesome is in 65 verse 4 says, anyone who reverences God, he makes everything easy for him. That despite it being called the difficult path, that God can make it easy. It continues in 65.5. says, anyone who reverences God, he remits his sin and rewards him generously. And 65 verse 7, it says, God will provide ease after difficulty. And the way I understand this is that when we first get into that path, it looks difficult. It looks uh, tough. But God says, if you trust in God, if you do it, God will make it easy. We just have to put our trust in God. And the reality is there's two Three kinds of people, believers, right? You have the believer who believes during the good times and the bad times. And you have the fair weather friend who only believes when things are good. In 2910, it says, among the people, there are those who say we believe in God. But as soon as they suffer any hardship because of God, they equate the people's persecution with God's retribution. But if blessings from your Lord come your way, they say, were we not with you? Is God not fully aware of the people's innermost thoughts? There's those who they only will perform righteous work. They will only do their contact prayers, give their zakat, be kind and compassionate when things are going well for them. <laughs> and then the second that, you know, they, they stumble on some hardship, uh, they, they drop out. And then the other side is the bad weather friends. In 1767, it says, if you are afflicted in the middle of the sea, you forget your idols and sincerely implore him alone. But as soon as he saves you to the shore, you revert. Indeed, the human being is unappreciative. In 31, uh, 32 reads, When violent waves surround them, they implore God, sincerely devoting their prayers to him alone. But as soon as he saves them to the shore, some of them revert. None discards our revelations except those who are betrayers, unappreciative. And these are the opposite. When things are bad, when things are terrible, they jump into the investment. And uh, they, they park their money there. 
And they start doing righteous work and they start doing good things, hoping that God would bless them. And God takes them out of that hardship and immediately they revert. And this is how any investment is. You look at these stocks, you look at uh, the ones we talked about, say Amazon, uh, Apple. You know, there were days, Starbucks, days where the stock went down 40, 50 percent. And a lot of people got shook out of the stock and they missed out on the long-term gains. This this investment we're making with God is a long-term investment. We have to write it on the ups and on the downs. When things are going good or things appear to be going bad. Because God wants to know the true believers. He doesn't want to give a loan to someone who's wishy-washy, who isn't going to be able to tough it out during the good times and the bad. And if we want to be part of the elite of the elite, in 56 sentences, then there is the elite of the elite. There are those who will be closest to God in the gardens of bliss, many from the first generations, few from later generations. And this is our opportunity. Before submission is become prevalent, where it becomes the hip, cool thing to be a submitter, to worship God alone, to absolve of any form of idol worship, to not mention anyone else's name during their contact prayers, to do your evolution before you do your contact prayers. You know, this isn't uh, the mainstream yet. The people who get into the investment early are the ones who can profit the most from it. But surprisingly, that's when it looks the least um, desirable. And there's a quote I heard. This is from a Howard Marks. He's the uh, co-chairman of Oak Tree Capital, and he's talking about his investment style. This is in the search of market inefficiency. It helps to get to a market early before it becomes understood, popular and respectable. There's nothing like playing in an easy game in an inefficient asset class where the other investors are few in numbers, ill-informed or biased negatively. That's far easier than trying to be the smartest person in a game that everyone understands and is eager to play. And this is the reality. If you tell most people you worship God alone, they look at you like you're crazy. If you tell people that the Quran is the absolute word of God that's mathematically coded, you know, they say, get out of here. But it's these people who make the investment before it's hip, before it's cool, before it's mainstream, that will have the biggest payout. And God says they will be the elite of the elite, the ones closest to God. So here's your opportunity to invest. Here's an investment that's going to pay you back better than anything in this world. And it's going to pay you back for all of eternity. So how many people are willing to go and start doing righteousness, to take God up on that loan, to earn righteousness and have God multiply that loan, uh, that uh, reward, that payback manifold? God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments, questions, uh, if you like the podcast, don't like the podcast, you want a, a topic you want us to cover, please let us know. Uh, you can reach us at crontalk at gmail.com. Uh, again, that's crontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless. And now for our last speaker, one of the greatest presidents in American history, Mr. Abraham Lincoln. Four score and seven minutes ago, we, your forefathers, were brought forth upon a most excellent adventure, conceived by our new friends, Bill 
repented. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition which was true in my time, just as it's true today. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! Yeah!